Good morning, Bethel. It's good to be with you. Always a pleasure to be here. Enjoyed the beautiful songs we sang and the wonderful prayer that was just led. Sixty-seven years ago, I was an 11-year-old boy, had just finished the fifth grade at Lusk Elementary, right up the road here. I was looking forward to a beautiful summer where I could roam through the woods and really have a good time. But my dad put a stumbling block in that. He called us in and says, we're moving to Detroit, Michigan. That was the saddest day of my life. I never had been any farther away from the home that I grew up in, uh, less than a hundred miles. I didn't want to go to a foreign country. My mom packed up the clothes and we didn't even have a car, rode up there with someone else, rented an apartment the next day, and JC and I started to school. I was in, they had 6A and 6B up there. I was in the sixth, and JC, I think, was in the second grade. Neither one of us liked it. They already had uh, patrols in the schools when you went in. They would try to steal your money and everything. I hated being up there and all I wanted to do was come home. Well, we stayed there two years and the second year that we were there, I convinced my mom and dad to let me come back to Tennessee because I wanted to come home. And they let me come home and stay with my Uncle James. And I don't know where any of James's children remember that or not. They were probably too young. But later on that same summer, my mom and dad decided to come back home. And they moved back to Tennessee where I grew up. And I started back to Lusk and I finished the eighth grade at Lusk and finished four years of high school at Bledsoe County High. I was the happiest little boy that you could find when I came back to my home in Tennessee. And you know, uh, when I open my Bible to the book of Genesis, I find Jesus there in heaven with God, at home with Him. And I remember as I... read the first chapter of Genesis there where that after God had created the things during the six days that God said that everything he had done during this time was very good. But sin had not entered the world at this time. Several hundred years later, God looked down again upon the world and He saw how corrupt, how bad that it was. And He said, Jesus, I'm going to have to send you down to the earth. And as it said in Luke 19 and 10, it says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Well, Jesus came down to the earth and when He was about 30 years old, Jesus selected 12 men of diversified backgrounds. 
And he said unto them, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I'll give you rest. What Jesus was saying, he was the rabbi. And he said, If you'll take my yoke, if you'll take my teachings upon you, you can find rest unto your soul. And good people, if we'll take the teaching of Jesus upon us today, we can find rest to our souls, can't we? Now while Jesus was here, He taught those twelve men and they changed the world. They were His followers. They followed Him around. They saw Him work miracles. They saw Him heal the sick. They saw Him raise the dead. And they saw Him cause the blind to see. But the leaders during that time didn't like Him. They didn't like what He was doing. We saw Him feed the 5,000 at Bethsaida. We saw Him feed the... 4,000 across the Sea of Galilee. And we saw Him do many wonderful things. But still, the people did not like Him. Although He was doing the things that God had sent Him to do. Now turn in your Bibles to John 13. In John, the 13th chapter, uh, we find there that the writer John, he begins in verse 1, he said, Jesus had realized that His time had come. He realized that what He was going to have to do had finally arrived. He was eating the Passover in the upper room with His disciples. He had just washed their feet and He had told them that this is what I want you to do, to wash each other's feet. And a little later in that same chapter, we find there that the Scripture says that Jesus was troubled in His spirit. And He said, one of you, one of you are going to betray Me. You're going to deny Me. And Peter spoke up. Uh, he reached over and punched the disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast and said, it was probably John. He said, ask Jesus who it is. And he said, Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? And he said, it's the one that when I dip in the sop and give it to that person, that is the one that will betray me. Can you imagine how the apostles felt at this time? How that they realized that He wasn't going to be with them anymore, that He was going away, and a little farther down that same chapter in chapter 13... There we find that Jesus said to His apostles, He said, little children, 
I'm not going to be with you much longer. This is the first time that he had told them that he wasn't going to be with them much longer. He said, I'm going away. And he said, where I'm going, you can't come. But you can come later. And you know, that's what he tells each and every one of us here today that we can uh, go to this place where he's talking about. Is he talking about heaven? Is he talking about a home? We find in the book of Hebrews that it describes heaven as a home. And we find that in John 14, it says and talks about that home. And that's where that Jesus is talking about here. How would you describe what is home? There was a survey one time in a London newspaper that put out a survey and they wanted to know what you thought, what was the best description of what a home was like. One uh, person said, it's a place where you complain the most and you're treated the best. And another uh, person said that it's a place that when you get there, they've got to take you in. So that's what home is. And can you imagine the thought that these disciples had when they knew that Jesus was going away? When they knew that He was going away? And after He said, little children, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you much longer. That I'm going somewhere that you can't come right now. But old bold Peter, he said, Lord, why can't we go with you now? Why can't we go with you now? He said, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. But Jesus knew that Peter had made a statement that he could not keep. Jesus knew more about Peter than Peter knew about himself. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And you know the story. You know that, that he did. That he denied him. Now that leads us up to uh, chapter 14. And I want to point out at this time that from chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, that that is the time that Jesus was spending with his disciples. During the night of his betrayal, before he went over into the Garden of Gethsemane. So we see that he was trying to comfort his disciples. He was trying to lift up their spirit. And in these chapters, he encourages them. And he tells them that they've got to keep on doing what they've been doing in order to enter into that wonderful place called heaven. And he was really encouraging them because he knew the trials that they would face would be hard. That they would have a tough time. Now let's look at chapter 14. Before we uh, get into chapter 14, I want to tell you about what was a traditional thing that... uh, or a custom that happened in the time of Jesus during this time. 
Okay, if a man and a woman had like three or four boys and they wanted, uh, one of the sons wanted to get married. What that uh, father would do, he would meet with the father of the bride and they would work out some kind of uh, price that he would have to pay for the bride. A lot of times uh, he would say, well, I'll give you a certain amount of money for your bride. Or he might say, well, I'll give you a cow or I'll give you a horse for your bride. I've got a wonderful story that I like to tell about the seven-cow woman, but I won't have time to tell it today. But that was a custom that they had back then of how that you selected uh, a bride and the price that you had to pay. I know that none of you had to pay that price, but you did have to make a promise to that bride's father that you would take care of that woman all the days of your life, didn't you? I didn't have to uh, give a cow when I got married, but you know, I did have to sell one. I'm not saying that she's a one-cow woman, but we have to realize that that's not what you look at, is it? You look at what's on the heart of that person. And this is the setting of chapter 14. And when that uh, father had reached an agreement with the father of the bride, he would go back home and he'd go back to his father's house and he'd add a room onto his house and it was called an insula. That was a compound that was common back then where that families lived together. And he would go home and he would spend several weeks or maybe a month or two and he would add a room on uh, to his father's house. They would take their meals together and everything. And when he finally finished that, when he uh, finished that room onto that insula, he was ready, he'd go back to the bride and he'd say, well, I'm ready to get married. And uh, the marriage feast would probably last for about seven days. And this would happen each time that a son got married in that family, they would add a new room on to that insula and it became a compound where that they all lived together. Now listen to what it says in chapter 14. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or some translations say many rooms. Do you get the point? Do you think that they realize what Jesus was talking about when He made this comment and this statement in John 14? I think that they had some idea of what Jesus was thinking and what Jesus was talking about during that time. And in chapter 14, He tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. And you know, that's what He's promised each and every one of us. That He has prepared a place for us. And... 
He is teaching us and telling us to prepare ourselves so that we can go to that place that He has prepared. And He tells them that where I'm going right now, you can't come, but you can come later. And uh, He told His apostles and told them, said, you know the way. You know the way that we'll get you there. And Thomas spoke up and said, Lord, we don't know the way. How can we know the way? And Jesus made one of the most famous statements anywhere in the Bible when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He didn't say, I'll teach you the way. He said, I am the way. There is no other way that we can please God and enter into the kingdom of heaven because His way is the only way. You know why a lot of people don't accept this today? Is they think that there ought to be a lot of ways that you can get to heaven, that you can get to Jesus. And there are many teachings where that different people teach that there is certain ways, different ways that you can get there. But Jesus said that I am the way, and that means that He is the only way to the Father. But then old Thomas speaks up and he said, Lord, how can we know the Father? And Jesus said to him, says, Philip, you have been with me for so long a time, and if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I think what is interested in this chapter that Jesus goes on to encourage His disciples. He is telling them and He is giving them instructions of what they are to do in order to keep on doing what they are doing so that they can go to this place called heaven. And you know that's why that T.A. and uh, all of the preachers throughout the world continue to preach and teach and talk to people about that. Because that's what we've got to do. We've got to continue doing the things that we have been doing that will lead us to that wonderful place called heaven. Chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. All of this happened while they were in the upper room. While they were there with Jesus. As He was instructing them, you see what was on the mind of Jesus? What was on the mind of Jesus was protecting these apostles that He had been with for so long a time. And in John 17, where is recorded the longest prayer that Jesus made, that we have recorded. In the first part of that, Jesus prayed for Himself. He prayed that I might be glorified. And he thanked the Father for glorifying him. And then a little farther down in that chapter, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for them, that, you, that he would be with them and that he would bless them.
And he thanked them and he said, Father, I have kept all of these people that you have given me and they have all been safe except the one, you know, that had betrayed him. And then the latter part of John 17, Jesus prayed for future believers. That's you and me. That's each and every one of us. So you see what, what concerned Jesus that night when He knew that He was going to have to leave these people? His concern was for the future believers, for His disciples, and that is what He was worried about. And all during these chapters, 13 through 17, it is words of encouragement to each of His disciples. As chapter 17 ends, we find that chapter 18 says that they left the upper room. They crossed the Kidron Valley and went to a place that was where there was a garden. And as they left the Kidron Valley, this was a time when during that day, they had probably slaughtered thousands of animals. As they went down the Kidron Valley, there was a channel there that came from the Temple Mount where that the blood of all of the animals that had been sacrificed that day would flow down into the Kidron Valley. And they had to cross that. Probably as Jesus crossed it, he realized that my blood is going to be shed for people throughout the world, for future believers, for you and me. You see, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of our sins. I think that we need to think more about getting to that wonderful place called heaven. You know, Jesus has promised us that He's going to be with us. He's promised us that He'll guide and direct us. But I think one of the main things that He promised His disciples during that night was that He's going to send them the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do for each and every one of us? The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us, through us, and with us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for each and every one of us. It helps us a lot of times when we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to do. It's there to encourage us, to encourage us to be faithful, and to do God's will exactly the way that He wants us to do. So I beg each and every one of you this morning as we think about heaven. We, can, we can't even comprehend what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be so wonderful. It's going to be so beautiful. And you know, I, I don't think we think about it enough. I don't think we put enough stress upon the things of life that we do that will lead us to that place. A lot of times, as I've said many times, we look at the destination, but we fail to realize that the journey that we take 
is the only journey that will lead us to that place. So the journey is important. The journey that will lead us to heaven is important for each and every one of us tonight that we follow what Jesus teaches and tells us to do. As they crossed the Kidron Valley and went into the garden, you know the story. Jesus knew all along that His time was here. We know that He was crucified the next day, that He was buried, rose again the third day, and spent several days, and then finally He was ascended back to heaven. You see, He went back home. I imagine He was glad to get back home. We know that when Stephen was stoned, that Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So we know that he made it back. You know, it probably reminds me of the time that I spent in Detroit. When the time that I felt so bad and I just wanted to go home. And that, I think, is what you and I need to think about tonight. You know, the older we get, the farther down the road that we travel, the more we think about it, don't we? The older we get, the more we think about what it's going to be like to go down that road that leads us to heaven. There's not going to be a lot of people make it, according to the Scripture. Few people are going to make it, but let's, let's try to make it. Let's try to be the ones that enter into that wonderful place called heaven. If you're subject in any way today, would you come? Thank you.